welcome back to Cottonmouth Manchester, the podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford, and to our continuing series, Life in a Time of Coronavirus. Today I'm talking to Gemma Hines, the chief exec of FoodSync, a food system consultancy. Gemma spent the six weeks of the virus at the forefront of linking food supplies with those in need of support. The conversation wanders off a little bit into general conversation about food supply systems and how the post-Brexit world will manage to feed everyone, particularly in cities. I hope you find it interesting. You can find out more about FoodSync at foodsync.syc, that is, .co.uk. If you have any suggestions for future people to interview, please get in contact. I'm on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Blueprint Studios in Salford for doing the editing. Thank you for joining us, Gemma. Um, the question we always like to start with, really, um, when, when talking about the last few weeks is... Um, when we started to get the news of the coronavirus, when we started to get the news of COVID and, and it was spreading, I mean, so what was the impact on you? What was the impact on your business? Um, what were your initial thoughts? Um, well, from our position, um, about a week before lockdown, our phones just started to ring, mine particularly, um, from people within our networks, from our clients across public, private and third sectors saying, you know, I've got two local authorities saying, uh, we haven't, you know, we've got food banks closing. I've got VCSE partners saying our, our our demand and what the requests are. People are panicking, and that's going up. Uh, and obviously, people are seeing supermarket shelves empty, so it was fueling personal panic as well as organisational panic. Um, so we spent quite a lot of time trying to work out whether there was going to be a coordinated response. That was largely what we were being asked. Um, the Friday before lockdown, we were asked then. Um, almost by default because no one else really stepped forward to host a conference call across public, private and third sector organisations that we'd reached out to to try and um, get a further, further opinions really of what we felt were emerging. Um, and on that call that we had, um, it was pretty much universal. Everyone wanted to work together. Uh, they felt that we needed to you know, uh, join forces uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and we needed a coordinated response. And that as a city region, um, you know, most people don't really look to borough boundaries. So um, we're very much trying to understand the scale of the problem, uh, who could be involved in the response, and making sure that the response was uh, both effective and timely. Um, so we spent a long, quite a long time, and I say a long time, like eight or nine hours on the, on the, on the phone every day, um, just basically speaking to different people, developing a system in the middle of the air, um, which we, we could then um, mobilise um, and, and would be effective and, and start to um, make things a bit, a bit more, um, build some resilience um, and, and some tolerance in GM to support the most vulnerable. So that was the key priority, really. Uh, is feeding the 1.2 million people that we'd identified as being vulnerable across GM. Um, so how much was there, the network already in place through obviously Manchester Food Network and through the work that you do anyway as FoodSync? How much did you have that and how much did you have to invent extra bits on the fly effectively in that week? Um, we were quite fortunate because we work within the food system. Obviously, it's quite complex. So there's a number of uh, stakeholders and partner organisations. So um, in some instances, for Manchester specifically, Oldham, Stockport, we, you know, we've worked on um, large aspects of the food system there. So we knew a lot of the key stakeholders in those areas. Um, but because we're actually a non-profit organisation ourselves, we, we spend quite a lot of time supporting other areas, um, other stakeholders, um, to try and uh, improve their food system and make it more sustainable. 
Um, so we, we've, we have got, you know, sort of networks that are in most of the, the GM brewers. So we were quite lucky in that way. And I think that's why our phone was ringing because people knew. Everybody knew you could, you could hopefully provide a solution. <laughs> yeah, well, I have some idea of who was providing the solution. So, uh, so what were the sort of asks that were coming through in those first few weeks? Oh, um, people were running out of food uh, in the VCSE net sector. There was a shortage of volunteers, um, shortage of capacity. Um, we'd got local authorities wondering where, whether they could redeploy staff and where to, um, what sort of skills were needed. And there was questions about logistics. Um, there was questions about, you know, everything. I mean, recently we've had an awful lot of pet food requests uh, and sanitary products and incontinence pads. It's not food, but, um, it, you know, a lot of these things come through the, the consumables uh, channel. So, yeah, originally um, there was also a lot of offers of support coming through the mayor's office um, where a lot of it was, was goodwill. There was some speculative activity and it was somebody to sort of sift that and work out what to do with it. Um, and, you know, where where could it be placed? And many instances, you'd have a, a huge amount of food or products being offered. Uh, and then how did you make it easy for that organization to be able to execute what they needed to do? So in, in some instances, um, giving away, you know, whether it be airline meals or, um, you know, food out of deep freezers, like large quantities of, of frozen bread, for example. Um, and so they might have like hundreds of pallets and, you know, Local authorities don't have loads of freezer capacity at that scale, and neither does the VCSE sector. Um, there was also a lot of variation in kind of how people were shopping, and you probably found that, as did many other people, that people were buying more long-life goods, um, tin goods, and not as much fresh. So supermarkets had a lot of volatility on their fresh, so there was a lot of food surplus going out through distribution channels. But then um, lots of the boroughs couldn't actually handle that because they didn't have the cold chain um, facilities to be able to collect it, distribute it out. So a lot of what we've been trying to do is build the infrastructure around Greater Manchester to enable people to create uh, to, to use uh, a wider variety of food surplus and then get it out to the people that most uh, are most in need. Um, so a lot of that is then streamlining who needs the support, how does it arrive into the system, how is it then dealt with, triaged, and then how does that food go out in the right format? So um, in the first week, we produced an awful lot of um, food safety guidance with key environmental health officers across Greater Manchester responding to immediate needs from business and the, and the, and the community sector saying, you know, we want to feed people, we want to feed the NHS, we want to do all of this, but it's not our usual business. How do we do so safely? The last thing you want is loads of food poisoning on the top of uh, COVID. Um, <laughs> So a lot of the time, you know, we, we would just facilitate that information coming out. So we'd make a start on it, sense check it, and then get it back over and then out. So we were three weeks quicker than the Food Standards Agency uh, across Greater Manchester, um, across the different sectors. So I think we could be quite, quite pleased with how much partnership working has been, ha has been happening across uh, the city uh, and beyond. So. And, and then during the period of it, what are we, six weeks in or so now, um, you know, how, how is that network, how is your organisation of the logistics, which I think is something that's come up quite a lot uh, in these interviews, there's so much willingness to help and so much need at the other end, but how are you matching those, those together? Um, how have your systems developed? Um, and do you think you've got, I mean, don't, don't want to look forward, if we have another one of these in a few years' time, do you, have we got a more resilient system as a result of learnings from this? 
I still think it's incredibly reactive. Um, there is now um, AGMA have been very good. Um, there's a couple of officers there that have been working with the military planners uh, and logistics. There's certain cells that have been set up to, to cope with specialist areas. Um, to start with, it was kind of who, who had the food awareness to know how we could handle it and what we could do with it. I think learning through doing has very much created um, a sort of set of um, it's almost a, a, a system that's, that's emerged on that side. So what what is required? And then I suppose storing offers of support, letting people know that they they have been stored. And if there's an immediate use, bringing that, um, bringing that through. Um, you know, there are products that you get offered from time to time. It's quite difficult to, to manage. So, um, you know, I've taken a call today. There's an, an awful lot of Greg's past has been offered. Um, but they're in a, a, a box to go over to, to Greg's stores. So they're not individually pre-packed and they're not individually labelled. So we've, we've got to know who can handle that kind of food and, and, you know, what they're going to do with it. It was a similar thing with the airline meals. Um, it, it, you know, they don't suit everybody and don't suit all organisations. It depends on the method of operation. So unfortunately, because of the quick turnaround, a, a lot of it is stored in people's heads um, what's been tremendously um, encouraging is, is sort of the willingness of everyone to help one another. And there's been, you know, interactions with people have been um, quite direct, but also people have been um, really helpful uh, in, in everywhere that we've, we've worked. Um, but I think it just shows the, the fragile nature of our food system and the fact that it's just not resilient enough. You know, you've got supermarkets that didn't have enough food on the shelves and then you've got food service that's throwing food away because the restaurants and bars are short. Um, and, you know, the question's got to be asked is why are the two supply chains not able to be more um, homogeneous, really, with how they work? I mean, the most that we've seen of bulk catering packs arriving anywhere near retail is Sainsbury's taking a few, um, you know, two kilo cans of chopped tomatoes. Um, but, you know, we've we had a call the other day of a, um, a pub company that had got £130,000 worth of stock in a deep freeze that needed to be distributed. You know, people are paying for this left, right and centre. Um, and, you know, it, it is it has nutritional value. It is worth something. And I think there's this balance between paying full price and getting food free. And we do need to find a way to make food more affordable. I think... Perhaps a lot of people misunderstand where the crisis is with feeding people. Uh, we certainly did to start with. Um, so you think, uh, you know, issues with supermarkets, getting delivery slots, all of that kind of thing, you know, food shortages. Uh, that's where the crisis is with feeding people. But actually, supermarkets, you know, bounced quite well on that. Um, and then obviously, we've had a brilliant rise in the number of SMEs that are diversifying their offer, doing veg boxes, that sort of thing. Um, but I think one of the big issues is that whilst we've had a lot of um, government and financial easing measures that have come in, it's almost, you know, if you don't need to pay your rent, you don't need to pay your mortgage, you can get away with not doing because you've been furloughed or made redundant, then there is some element of that problem being hidden at the moment because, you know, you can still afford to feed yourself, but it will be at expense of managing your household bills. And I think as those that support mechanism uh, starts to be, um, you know, moved away from, then, you know, a lot of people are going to be presenting in food poverty. Um, and a lot of people, I think, in the general public would perceive that uh, 
that's sort of a, a different problem than the COVID problem. And uh, so we thought we'd have, we were, you know, wondering that we might have to scale the emergency food response by 10 times, 20 times. But that actual demand didn't come through to that level. I mean, it's high, um, but it's it's probably about, um, you know, 3,000, 4,000 packs a week across Greater Manchester of aid. Um, but if we reach 10% unemployment, then uh, what's the demand going to be? So and I think... Presumably um, a lot of those new, a lot of those people in that situation as well, they're not people necessarily who've had any experience of accessing food banks or, or any of those services. So there's a huge information task to do there as well. There is. Uh, I mean, the housing associations are fantastic at getting messages out to their tenants and the communities that they operate in. But, you know, this is, this is going to affect all sorts of different people, every aspect of society. Um, and, and I think it's going to be quite difficult. I, I, at the moment, there's you know, that the humanitarian response is even in recovery is focusing on, on the role of food banks. Um, but there needs to be some evolution um, with that over time. So food banks do play an, an essential role. But how do we help people move beyond that and get back on the, you know, get back on their feet? Unfortunately, using a very overused expression, but, um, you know, people, you know, people do not want to be in that situation for longer than they have to be. And, also that you know that food if it is based on donations isn't always probably the most nu- nutritionally balanced for a very long period of time uh, it's a it's a limited range of goods so i think there is a, a slightly bigger challenge of uh, how do we create a population level response um that helps to rebuild our food system and build some more resilience in it um you know a number of academic um Leads have suggested that you know this will not be the the only crisis of our li- lifetime with regards to pandemics, but also obviously we've got Brexit and climate change on the horizon. So we need to um, radically rethink how we how we bring food into particularly into the city where we've got a density of um, people. Um, but you know how do we then build it right back? And what's the role of farming? Uh, I mean, we're lucky with the Manchester Food Board. We we have the National Farmers Union that sits on the Manchester Food Board. And that's quite unusual for a city um, to to have um, such rural representation. But at the end of the day, we're in a a globalised system. So um, we need to try and make sure that we link with with every aspect of the food chain. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously you mentioned Brexit. And I guess guess the fear is with the the stories out and about of you know, few, fewer fruit and veg pickers and fewer people working for farmers. So that, that, that end of the supply system um, potentially facing some major shocks as well. Um, and as we go over the next year or so, and Brexit presumably comes into place, we, we don't see anything that's going to be delayed at the moment. Um, for those people who are potentially made unemployed, if, you, if the unemployment rate goes up, um, getting that supply to them on one, one side uh, is very difficult, but also as people go back to their jobs, as shops come back to nor- some form of normality, presumably there's less willingness and there's less ability to just pass stocks on to you guys as well. So there's a, there's a number of shocks in different directions that are all come to be a rather unpleasant storm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the agriculture bills going through um, has been sort of brought back and the national food strategy, uh, the work has, um, has, has resumed. But I think a lot of the thoughts are let's move towards automation, let's reduce the dependence on labour, um, which is okay for certain things, certain products. But, you know, when we work with more small-scale farmers and we look at viability of farming, 
Um, and then you might say have a cooking project on the same site. It's really difficult to get um, the affordability right. So in one hand, you want to be able to grow premium crops to make enough money to be able to cover your costs in farming. At the same time, a lot of people just need to eat, you know, um, carrots, potatoes, onions. They want stock vegetables. Um, and so, but they're not very profitable to grow. So there's a huge element around rebalancing the economics of it all uh, and finding a way. So farms have diversified over the last few years, bringing in uh, tourism revenues. Well, I think you'll find that farms that have over-diversified possibly are quite at risk right now. Um, and so I think there needs to be an element of what is our land suitable for and how do we facilitate it being used for the most appropriate, um, whether it be growing or, or another um, means of food production. You know, there's obviously a lot of drive towards more plant-based diets with regards to climate change. Um, we have a lot of land that isn't great for um, growing crops. So, you know, there is an element around our food security for Greater Manchester involving some aspects of, of uh, livestock uh, and obviously meat production. So I think there's a way that we need to create some balance. Um, there is a need to um, pay farmers more to create some um, food security on that side, but there's also an element around feeding people that are struggling financially. So food needs to be more affordable. And the only way that that economic argument will work is if we shorten supply chains. So there's less people in the middle uh, taking a wedge. Um, and that re requires us to think radically different about how we run our food system and the role of all public, private and third sector in that. Um, you know, we've actually seen Morrison's and Co-op actually feature locally produced meats, which would have been destined for, for hotels. Um, you know, we need to see more of that. And, you know, it's shown over six weeks that you can actually start to um, maybe flex the supply chains into each other. Uh, and I think we need to find a way of doing that more readily moving forward. And that will help all aspects of the food system function better. Um, so there's there's a lot to do, and I think there's a lot of lessons learned, a lot of things that have come into focus that previously were a bit blurry um, for policymakers. Um, but there's 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 a huge aspect of you know uh, col collaboration across the sector. Um, you know we see it a lot in the independent food and drink sector in Manchester, incredibly powerful. Uh, and I think we need to make sure that more of the voices of people that are in this um, who are experts in their own area of um, food and drink sector uh, are heard. Um, and that it, it's something that we enable those people to thrive um, and we, we try and, you know, help them move forward. So there's a lot to do on the, on the recovery side, if that's the right terminology. Um, so, I mean, in an ideal world, um, in another year, 18 months, whatever it is, do you think there is a political willingness, from what you understand, to make those fundamental changes to... Um, the way food supply works. I mean, because uh, I, I suppose there's a few levels. I mean, it's really interesting that, that GM has this collaborative network. And as you say, it actually includes um, the NFU as well, which which is sort of something that, you know, maybe is less politically correct than some people may think uh, in some ways, but is, is absolutely necessary for the supply chain. So that's great. But there's only so much you can do on a Greater Manchester level, isn't there? Because you're, you're outside where most of the production is production is done it's got to be done at a national or a regional level at the very least yeah we need uh, we need a lot of this to be recognized nationally and i think 
there is, a, you know, a strong hope that the work being done for the national food strategy will start to um, unpick a lot of this. There's certainly been a lot of consultations and workshops that would suggest that they are looking at the uh, the wider contributions made. I think particularly the social impact that can be driven through the food system. Um, but yeah, regionally, it, it, it needs to be bigger than uh, Manchester, bigger than Greater Manchester. Um, we are very much looking around our um, our of sort of food production uh, and are growing really to try and focus it on Northwest. So we, we've got the influence where we can. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's really looking about what we do with the food that's coming in. It's looking at the role of our wholesale markets. So say new Smithfield market. Uh, I think there's been a lot of changes over there and in, in the last uh, decade. Um, and I think there's a way that we need to look at how do we work with the artisans, the crafts, um, that we need. So have we got skills shortages, for example? Do we have enough butchers, bakers? Uh, yet, yeah, no, we don't. You know, we've got quite a lot of um, emerging artisans that are providing uh, great products uh, and they're really striving for, um, I suppose, building their, their market um, and, and conveying the importance of good food provenance. Um, but, there, you know, when I'm from five generations of butchers, you know, and I was based over on the file coast and there is this real, real issue that there's just not um, labor with the right skills and to build uh, a stronger food economy, you know, where, where are our abattoirs? Where are our millers? You know, we've got a miller in Stockport, flour miller, but there's still a lot of our flour coming from Kazakhstan who banned the export of it during COVID. So, um, you know, stuff that people don't necessarily realise um, that we need to we need to put a spotlight on it, educate the general public. People need to spend more money locally with more independent businesses or businesses that employ local people. Uh, and I think we need to start to look at the circular economy as well, reducing waste by producing um, products that are more reworkable. Um, and you know, and I think it's those principles, and I think we've seen a lot of that. Um, food waste originally went up after panic buying, but then people are actually um, using a lot more uh, food that would have otherwise gone to waste. Um, but then, you know, you hear from one of our third sector partners that uh, redistributes food that um, people are in food clubs that know they're getting redistributed surplus food, yet 30% of them will still throw that food away once it hits its best before date. Um, so there's a huge amount of education. There's a lot to do around understanding what food we need where in the city at the right level. So it's affordable. Uh, it's got the right provenance. Uh, and, and then also, you know, we do need to feed into to national strategy. It's a globalized system. Um, and the, the UK needs to not be too internal in how it, it, it builds itself moving forward. But we do need to be able to influence beyond the boundaries um, of um, of our country. So um, I think there's a lot to do by the government uh, and advocates, uh, the national NGOs like Sustain, um, but there's also a lot we can do locally. Um, the power of uh, citizenship um, right through to, you know, businesses um, working well together. Uh, and there's a huge, um, there's a huge drive to do that. Um, so we just need to facilitate more of that uh, and find a way uh, to put the systems and processes and ultimately policy in place that enables uh, the, the direction of travel that we want to see. Excellent. Good point to leave it. Thank you very much indeed, Gemma.